Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Uncut Gems and I am joined for the first time in a while by my old friend Billy McCormick to talk about this one. Billy, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Josh. Good to be back. Yeah, so Billy was last here for Bohemian Rhapsody, that great movie, uh, last year. (laughs) He helped me finish out Oscar season. That was the one Best Picture nominee I was missing. And uh, I don't don't know if Uncut Gems, unfortunately, might not make the Best Picture cut. But at this point, I think I've already hit all of them. But, you know, it has a chance to win some awards, and I'm rounding out the year. So I'm glad Billy could help me do it with this one. Also, it's a funny coincidence that he was able to join me for this because the last movie Billy and I actually saw together was Good Time, the Safdie Brothers' last movie. And this is the new movie from... Josh and Benny Safty, who are uh, independent b- filmmakers who have been on the rise for quite some time now, and they had a little bit of a leveling up when they did uh, Good Time a couple years ago with Robert Pattinson, but that was still a relatively uh, lowly seen movie, only made about $4 million, and Uncut Gems, they got an even bigger star in Adam Sandler to lead their passion project, which they've been trying to get made for like 10 years now, and it's uh, been really successful. It f- focuses on Howard Ratner, who runs a jewelry store in New York's Diamond District, and uh, he also has a crippling gambling addiction and presumably makes a lot of other not so smart decisions with his money he is estranged with it from his wife he or somewhat estranged from his wife it's kind of lives with her still but also kind of lives with a mistress in his apartment in manhattan and he has g- gambling debts he has other debts to a bookmaker played by eric bogosian and he has a bookie played by mike francesa and he's just kind of all over the place trying to kind of uh, make ends meet or get from one scam to the next and get from one day to the next and uh you know, it's a, a fairly anxiety-inducing movie, as the Safties are wont to do. Uh, Billy, this has been like probably one of my most anticipated movies of the year because I I enjoy when Adam Sandler goes serious. We both quite enjoyed Good Time. I I'm not a big sports gambler, but I know the subject matter decently well for by your average moviegoer standards, and I. Actually, unfortunately, know the basketball series that this uh, is a framing device for this movie quite well because the Celtics beat the Sixers in 2012 when Rajon Rondo inexplicably learned how to shoot three pointers. So uh, it was, and I and I kept hearing from all these people that because it seemed like the whole entire world had seen Good Time before the common folk like us had, like even before it is in theaters. It's like all the people we probably follow in the media yeah. had seen it and were talking about it, and I was just like running out of movie theaters because I didn't even want to see the trailer. I was so excited for it because, uh, just because of all these things. So, um, going into this, I, I guess, I guess my, I guess my first question is, uh, as someone who I, I think also enjoyed good time to a certain extent and probably hasn't watched very much Adam Sandler content in like the last 10 years. I, I know you didn't like Meyerowitz stories, but I, I did. And I really loved his performance in it. But besides that, I basically hadn't seen an Adam Sandler movie since funny people. So it's really cool to kind of see him come out and try something. So, uh, what were your expectations for good time? And, uh, what was your initial reaction? Were you just kind of like, uh, left with a mild heart attack or, uh, were you, did you have a more tempered reaction? Yeah, I think from an expectation standpoint, if I hadn't seen Good Time, I think I would have had maybe lower expectations. Um, And I, like, to be clear, had like zero interest in seeing Good Time before you made me go see it (laughs) in Dallas, which was obviously awesome. That's like the movie when people ask me, like, oh, what movie should I watch on streaming? Yeah, I'm like, you should watch that movie. It's still on Amazon Prime if anyone wants to see it. I rewatched it last week for the first time. Because I feel like so many people didn't see that movie. and. Mm -hmm. When people ask me, like, well, instead of going through the game of like, oh, did you see this? I'm just like, watch that movie. And I have a very low hit rate on that. I think it's like 1% out of 30. Um, so I had that expectation. And then I think I didn't really see the trailer 
Uh, I saw the trailer once right when it first came out, and people like on Twitter freaked out that Mike uh, Francesa was going to be in the movie. And just Adam uh, Sandler wearing a weird costume was exciting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was like my expectation was like, okay, I'm going to go see this movie. And then I, I think I was excited enough that like it was Christmas Day, and we're like, let's go see a movie in the afternoon. There were like ten movies I hadn't seen. I was like, okay, I want to go see this one. Like this one jumped out. Like let's go see it. Well, and I want to I want to uh, stop you right there. When you say we, are you referring to anyone besides your wife, or did you go with any? I know your family might have been there. Did you see it with anyone else? Because I, I want to talk about the generational divide with respect to the reaction in this movie. Yeah, it was just my wife. Okay, so who had not seen uh, Good Time? Good Time. So I was like, yeah, this movie might be a little intense. Just to warn you, like, could be a little like you know. Uh, over the, not over the top, but like anxiety and, generating. Yeah, propulsive, intense, all those things. Yeah, and so that was like exactly what happened. I mean, it was one of those movies where like first ten minutes, like you kind of get into the groove, um, and then after that, and you look down and you're like, "How's this movie going to end?" Like, if you look at your watchers, like there's thirty minutes left. I don't know how this is going to wrap up. Yeah, um, there's something exciting I, about I, seeing a movie like that for sure, where it's like it's not like a conventional plot, and you don't know where you're heading. Yeah. But I would say my reaction was like came out like kind of doing the same thing I did in uh, time. Get Out, where oh. I was like checking my armpits to see if I pit it out because <laughs> uh, it was like that stressful. Like it was all awesome. yeah. I, I came away like kind of super pumped. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm glad you liked it. And I I like I mentioned I saw it twice because my and I mentioned I asked you about the people you saw it with because I know you I, you just told me before we started recording your parents visited around the holidays and your in laws live in your area so I was wondering if you saw it with old people because I don't really think old people have had the most positive reaction yeah. to this movie. Yeah. I saw it with my 83 year old grandpa on Christmas morning and I was I think I spent a little too much time being a little worried if he saw it. It was the same thing when when I saw Mad Max Fury Road. Like I think it hit for me better on the second time because I saw it with my grandpa. My grandpa actually liked Mad Max. And he hated uh, hated uncut gems, and so is. And that night we went to dinner with three other friends of his that are about in their late seventies, early eighties too. They all disliked it. A week later, I was in New York and I was visiting my great aunt and uncle who lived there, and we were talking about movies. And they they do a good job of getting to the theater. They liked the Little Woman, and then I asked them about uncut gems, and they said we walked out of it after an hour. So the olds are just not enjoying this movie. And my grandpa complained about the profanity, and I, and yeah, I, that honestly didn't even help. that didn't register with me. Like in the same way it might with the Martin Scorsese movie but then i saw the graphic i don't know if you saw being passed around on twitter about how it had the seven most seventh most f-bombs ever in a movie and two two of them ahead of it included documentaries about profanity and like two of them were like wolf of wall street and goodfellas or something like that so uh they're they're in good company in that respect ironically enough martin scorsese is a producer of this movie and i so I was just kind of like, I think I enjoyed it, but at the same time, I was like, I don't, maybe I wasn't as into it because I was kind of a little worried if I was wasting my grandpa's time or he wasn't enjoying himself. So I, and I, and I thought, you know, this didn't quite like, uh, get my juices flowing quite to the extent that Good Time did. But there is no shame in that because Good Time is one of those movies like that's on the Sicario level of movies where it's like I'm so jazzed when I leave that I'm afraid to watch it again for fear that like yeah. doing it outside of the confines of a theater is not going to have like the same mental effect on me. But I wanted to watch Good Time again just to refresh myself before we did this. And I and I even like Good Time better on the second viewing. I remember thinking it got a little trippy at the end when we saw it. And then I was like, I don't remember why I thought that. Maybe it was that digression in Good Time where they end up hanging out at that like fifteen with that fifteen year old and her grandma in a house. And I, I just found I just found that to be hilarious on the rewatch. I was like, this is so ridiculous that this guy is desperate enough that'll do that. Even that part of that movie worked better for me on a rewatch. I will say to your point, mm-hmm. I did not realize the thing about the cursing and the f bomb 
in the moment at all. Like, I had to wait like a week or two to see that graphic to be like, really? Was that that much cursing in that movie? Like, it did not register with me at all. And I, I mean, maybe that's just a testament to like their their writing that they write these New York characters where you just fall into the rhythms of their voice and they can more fluently drop an f bomb and you don't even think twice about it. And they're not they're not being so gratuitous. Maybe not, it feels weird to say it's not gratuitous when it has like three hundred f bombs, but yeah. maybe it's just that like they they write these characters that are so authentically New Yorkers so well that you don't even really notice it because they are just falling into the dialect that easily but i guess my my larger point being like that doesn't bother me like it does an old person but i was worried my older grandpa wasn't enjoying it and he didn't and i saw it again about a week ago and i I just think there wasn't a single part of the movie that didn't what that wasn't lacking for me i don't know if the score is quite as iconic as the good time score is for me because that thing just like fucking slaps and i was like and i I mean i don't know how else to put it and i mean i'm in there are certain there's just as many anxiety inducing sequences in uh, uncut gems and I mean I, I just I just really liked it and I think that I, I don't know where else to start besides starting with Adam Sandler because I think yeah. it's uh, that's just the biggest reason why I mean like I even after my first viewing I was like I don't know if I like this as much as good time but like I, I could have watched that guy for like three hours so uh, I, I, I what, what did you think about it overall did, did you think about it in the context of any of his other serious performances or was it very just separate from that in your mind because he so clearly became this specific dude i think it was very very different from his other serious performances in that i don't know why right if you think about myrowitz stories that character there's not like a through line between his character in that movie or punch truck love or some of those other movies. Like it's hard to draw. Like, I feel like it's a very different role here in that he's done like drama and maybe the difference is the dramas he's done previously are not, I mean, they're kind of set piece movies with long scenes. Like this movie is like a, a different kind of acting where he's constantly moving around. He's got one kind of set piece right in his office where he's talking to KG, which is probably the best part of the movie. Uh-huh. But it's not as much like, you know, solely focused on him. Well, um, well thinking about Punch Truck Log, which I haven't seen in a while. Like, I, I think it's a different kind of serious role than he's done before, but I, I thought he did a really good job. Well, also, uh, yeah, even and not even just like the makeup and hairstyling and the beard and the sunglasses and all that, but it, it, it certainly is more of a character, I would say. And I mean that positively yeah. in that with Punch Truck Love or Funny People or, uh, or, or Meyerowitz, like those guys – they're, they're not only do they still look like him, but they, they, they kind of seem like a, just a sad version of what Adam Sandler would be like. Exactly. He's just like, he's just yeah. like yelling when he gets cranky about something. And I, I mean, I, lo- I love all those performances, but it, it, it feels like it's just those filmmakers are just tapping into like a different version of like the guy that we see in all the goofy comedies, which is, and they do so very effectively. And here they're like, no, you're going to like straight up become this guy and convincingly be like a diamond district dude. And I've never actually been in the diamond district. It was one thing I was mad I didn't do when I was in New York. I kind of wanted to just walk down the street uh just to say i did it and i didn't do it so i don't exactly know what those characters are like but they certainly drop you into that world really well apparently uh one of the guys who is talking to howard about how he's going to quit and he's been working with him for a while and you don't deserve me i think it's i think in the movie his name might be yusef or uc or something like that like that's actually like a real diamond district drawer that they just got to be in the movie because that's what they did for a lot of these parts apparently the guy that delivers him the fish that's like actually like a fedex guy that works in the that like delivers packages in the diamond district and they just like grabbed him off the street so they do a lot of stuff like that and I, I guess they just so convincingly create a world that like, I'm like, okay, like I totally buy that. Even if I don't actually know what one of these characters would look like in this world. 
yeah, I would strongly suggest skipping the diamond district. Well, yeah, you actually lived there. You actually lived in New York for two out, years. Right? So you're saying I'm not missing actually that much as fun as they made it look. <laughs> it, well, I mean, it's not even like fun. I mean, it's kind of like chaotic in the way that they portray it. But it's just, I mean, it's kind of. I mean, it's still very much like a commercial district that really is like people moving diamonds and other stuff. That it's kind of like if you've ever walked through the Garmin district, like you're still in New York, right? And New York is a commercial side, but it's not something like where you'd be like, oh, I want to go check this out. Like you would walk through and be like, that's kind of a waste of time. This is kind of gross. I think I actually walked through like what might, I, I, not that it actually has a name, but when I was there a couple weeks ago, I think I actually walked through like the chandelier district or like the lighting district. Like I was like yeah. somewhere in like, uh, I think like in NoHo or somewhere like, or Chinatown or somewhere like that. And like all of a sudden yeah. I'm on a block where like every single street is just like lighting stores. I'm like, huh, this is yeah. weird. So, I mean, yeah, I could see why i'm not missing much but like i that that's like on my to-do list on my next new york trip I'm like why didn't i think i should have just like walked down the street where they filmed do the right thing i should have walked down the diamond district should have just done the stuff like that and that would have been something different but uh but yeah i mean i i i, I don't know i just like I totally fell into it and it's really funny. Like you don't forget you're watching Adam Sandler, but like, it's like really cool just to see him like totally like owning the screen and owning this and just the way he like manages that store and how he just floats around and does his thing. And he's like talking to Kevin Garnett. And then one second, then he's like trying to have this side conversation with, uh, like Sanfield's character about like counterfeit watches. And then all of a sudden he's like trying to go tell Julia. I don't know if Julia Fox's character has a last name in the movie, but he's telling Julia to do something. And, then it's just it's just funny it's like i'm like i totally buy that this is this guy's store and that he runs this store and this is just like it's it's your average hectic day in his store yeah they do a very good job of like submerging you in his world where you're like okay this is like a normal thing Mm -hmm. this is just a normal day in his life yeah what did you think i mean one of i think one of my one of the one of the things that gave me a little pause after the first time i saw the movie though was like this guy's kind of dumb too like i was like worried that he was just like making too many stupid decisions and i don't like hanging out with movie characters that are doing dumb things and i'm like he got it damn it he's forgetting about this uh, actually i want to back up for a second do you understand how jewelry pawning works at all uh how like pawning actually works it's like where he's like giving like, them kg's ring he's giving like this other store kg's ring and it's like all right we'll give you 25 grand for it but you can come back and get it on friday is it like what does that even mean does that mean like they don't mind like buying it from a guy and then like letting him buy it back at like a slightly increased rate or something. Is that what he's doing just to get some money fronted to him? Or it seemed like that was like a regular arrangement he had with him. I was like, the hell are you doing, man? You're going to give away KG's ring and now you're just forgetting about it. And then, but they still have it the following Monday when he comes back. I'm like, what is this kind of, how does this work where he just like gives watches or he gives like an NBA championship ring? And I, I was just like, man, you seem like you're being so reckless. And that is the point. This is a movie about addiction, but I was like, Oh man, like this guy is crazy. Yeah. So I actually do, I don't know why. <laughs> Understand how pawn shops work. Yeah. And I, I actually had to explain how pawn shops work to my wife afterwards. And the Wikipedia on pawn shops is pretty interesting uh, huh. to read the history about it because I read it after that too. But, I mean, basically what he's doing is getting a short-term loan right. using the ring as That's collateral, okay. right? Okay. But doing it in a way where, like, he's getting – if the ring is worth thirty grand, he gets twenty five grand. So they're in the money if he comes back and pays them back either way. Plus they charge a VIG on top of what they – Okay. on what they give him. So okay. after the week, they would have the right to sell it if they want, which they don't do in the movie, which is interesting because I'd immediately flip it. But <laughs> then, you know, for some time period until they sell it, he can come back and buy it. But if he originally, you know, if it has a value of 30 grand and he got 25 grand, they're probably going to mark it up to 35. The whole point is that they're not going to loan you the money unless they feel like 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I, I, I kind of figured it was something like that, but I was like, man, this guy's crazy. He's going to like lose Kevin Garnett's ring. And I, you know, the one thing I, I, I didn't even like make the point when I was doing my brief plot synopsis, but the whole, the whole gist of this movie also is that like he, this guy's facing all these money troubles, but he's worked very hard to get this opal from some Ethiopian Jews, uh, which is a funny term in and of itself. And, uh, Kevin Garnett becomes infatuated with it though. And he trades it to Kevin Garnett, uh, to temporarily hold on to cause he really just wants it. And then KG has a very good game against the Sixers in this the Eastern Conference semifinal series and and then they have to have like a back and forth where he's trying to track down this gem while also getting money from any other source he can and I was just like man sometimes I get anxiety like watching characters like make bad decisions and it's just not a fun time and I don't know on my second viewing I just like didn't worry about it and I was just kind of like overcome with like how well the rest of the movie was made what did you think about like this what what did you think about the rest of this guy's life though and i mean we talked about how well he inhabited the character but what what did you enjoy about like just seeing this part of new york i mean you have lived there but you're now seeing like this very specific guy that like has this house on long island has this mistress in the city uh did you enjoy just the the world they created for this guy specifically if not just recreating the diamond district in and of itself yeah no i did enjoy that right i mean i think that's something you didn't it's easy to forget in like the 2019 new york that you know if you're you know, walk around the East Village or Soho or even the Lower East Side or even like Midtown. Like, like there, there's a whole undercurrent to the city that you're not seeing. Right. So in the Diamond District behind closed doors, like what's going on or, you know, other parts of the city or even just in the boroughs. Right. So I think it's always interesting to see that other part of it, because, you know, I lived in New York for two years. And when people ask me, like, oh, did you ever feel unsafe? It was like, no, like staying like, in the bubble. Yeah. Yeah, basically, if you're in Manhattan and it's not like four in the morning, and there's nobody on the street, and you're in like I don't know, like somewhere in Tribeca that you know is by the tunnel, and there's nobody walking, like maybe you feel unsafe then. But other than that, you see so many people that you never feel unsafe, and then like you see a movie like this, and you're like, well, you know, there's this whole other part of the city you're not even thinking about. So that, that part is always interesting to me, right? Yeah. Um, I've, yeah, and I've been to that. I've, you know, I've actually been to that Smith and Walensky once before. I think with my with my family when I was there. So like, I, I was like geographically uh, oriented a little bit once they said that, and I'm like, all right, I guess his 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 apartment is probably somewhere near just like the the, the lower part of the Upper East Side or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, huh, like this is really interesting. And then I re- I read about Julia Fox, like because I mean she's just a very interesting figure in that like she'd never acted before. The Safdies just like somehow randomly knew her just from like being around New York for like seven years before they made this movie and they just always knew they wanted her and once Adam Sandler became attached they were like no we still want her even though now everyone wants a bigger star in this role and like I read like a New York Times profile on her and it's like yeah she's from Yorkville and I'm like what is Yorkville like I just thought that sounded like so weird it's like no it's like its own neighborhood within the Upper East Side I'm like oh wow like because I'm like I I, I mean I've been on the Upper East Side but like I I, when I'm there it's mainly just like visiting this family that part of my family that lives along Park Avenue I'm like and I I was and I, I was seeing some friends when I was there last week they're like oh no we live on the Upper East Side we just like live in like the the not as well off part. I was like, what? And like, yeah, you just got to go like, you just got to go east of Lexington. I was like, oh. And I was like, so it's like, there's this whole other like neighborhood where like other certain types of characters that aren't just like old wealthy white people might live. And it's, it, I don't know. It just seems like they get into these other little crevices of New York that you might not typically see on screen. And that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that that part's very cool. I I, I don't know. I, I just didn't, I, I think I think they just do a very a, a very cool job of that. And I and then I mean this guy's like going back and forth between uh, there and Long Island. But where when did you like actually start to like feel really stressed in this movie? I guess would be where I want to take it next. I think where I started to feel stress was when he takes Garnett's ring, puts <laughs> it up as collateral. Yeah. That's the part where you're like, your your point, right? I He's a problem. And I think it was in. 
Vanity Fair or Slash Film or somewhere, they were like, this movie is okay, but like, you know, Adam Sandler's character is too stupid. Hmm. Um, and like, keeps making dumb decisions. But like, that part of the movie where like, he puts Garnett's championship ring up as collateral, you're like, oh, okay. That's like the kind of stakes we're playing here with, like, where this guy is so confident often like being able to move pieces that he thinks he can do this like safely. And I'll say, you know, not get like, you know, the shit kicked out of me by Kevin Garnett. Like that's when I started to get stressed out. I was like, dude, there is no way you're going to be able to get Garnett's ring back clearly. (laughs) Well, yeah. And you're acting right now. Yeah. Then it ends up being a actually not being that hard for him later in the movie somehow. But uh, regardless, you're like, wow, we are, we are dealing with this kind of character. And that is also where I started to get like uh, very stressed out. But at the same time, I keep having to remind myself, yeah, he's stupid, but it's like a movie about a guy with a gambling addiction. It's like, he solves one problem and it's like, then as an audience, we're like, I, I think I almost fell a side of sigh of relief at one point where it's like, Oh, one of his bets hits or he's like, he seems like he solved a minor problem. And then as soon as he does that, he's like, He's just off to the bookie. And, yeah. I mean, I, I, I do like the Mike Frances of it all. He certainly looks like what you might imagine a New York bookie to look like. Luckily, they didn't overuse him too much. He's just there briefly, and that's it, which is, like, a cool way to use someone like that in a cameo. And we'll, we'll talk about KG, but I actually thought – and he was in more of the movie, and I actually liked him too. But I, I was just like – after the first time he tries to go place a bet after he solves one of his problems, I was like, oh, my God, this is just going to be so stressful, like, watching this guy do stupid stuff. And I think it's cool that you don't ever stop. Total, I don't think I ever stopped rooting for him, as annoying as it was, because yeah. I wanted my stress to stop. I think that's part of it. Uh, but at the same time, like then I, maybe I did question myself as to whether I still want to root for him. Like when those guys show up to his kid's school, and it's like when they're at like his kid's school's play. I'm like Jesus Christ, this guy. Like he, he I guess maybe, and and you can see the look on Indina Menzel, who plays his uh, his wife's face. Like I, this may not be the first time something like this has happened, but you're like, man, like I want this guy to stop doing this. And I guess I, my, my head just kept going there. It's like, can you please stop? But at the same time, I kind of get that, like, this guy is just having to pay his debts, for lack of a better term, or all of his past actions from even before the events of the movie are coming back to bite him. Because I think we know the Eric Bogosian character is uh, – we learn later that he's kind of in the family, but I guess we don't even know exactly why he owes him money. But it's like this is something that's just an ongoing thing with this guy, you know, and we're just kind of now living it. Yeah, I would say that's one thing that is a credit to, I think, Sandler's acting in this movie is like if based on the way the character is written, right, if you have someone that plays that role and you don't like them, this is a very different movie. Mm -hmm. Like you somehow find yourself in the first 20, 25 minutes of the movie like rooting for this guy. Yeah, if it's an unknown actor, do you think that's not really the relationship that we're then having as we watch it? Yeah, I think so, right? I mean, I think maybe having Sandman helps on that front. No, definitely. I I, I would I would agree, and it's like, but like I was I was just like super stressed when he turns around and those guys are in the school, and then he even like runs by his daughter uh, when he's running from them, and I was like, man, yeah. this is like this is rough. I don't know. I, I I really I really appreciated all that though, and I I don't know. I guess like I don't know, maybe my heart rate didn't get to the point where it was during good time, but I certainly felt like just that level of stress for sure, like just ongoing. And I'm like, will this guy like make one right decision so I don't have to feel like this anymore? And then even when it seems like he's gotten to a point where it's okay, then all of a sudden KG is absconded with the gym to Philadelphia. Yeah. And then, and then it's like, all right, well now it's not even just his fault. Now he's having to deal with someone else. That's going to be kind of like enigmatic and sketchy about it and uh, whatever. So uh, I guess, I, I guess that's an, well, what I'll ask you now is like, what, what did you think of uh, 
just that aspect of the movie. And then apparently they were very meticulous with it, and they wanted to really place you in. They well, actually, I read, I, I listened to an interview with them. And it's like they had to rewrite the movie because they kept like multiple times because they kept ending up with different basketball stars in it, and they were gonna they wanted to they wanted to find a series of games for whatever basketball player was in it where you know it did have this back and forth feeling where they, they played really well. And then the guy did have a bad game. So then he had to value the gem and then he played again. So like, they almost had to like change the setting depending on who they thought was going to be in at any given time because they wanted to use like a real basketball series. So they, I want to ask you about some of the other, what ifs from this movie, but what did you think about KG? I think KG was good, right? He was really good. I think you have seen over the past two years, I forget when he first came out of the league and he did that show on TNT where it was just him like kind of, you know, just talking and doing interviews with the old players, like that old Celtics reunion show, like oh, it was yeah. really good. Made you realize like KG's a really good storyteller. Yeah. So I probably should have seen this coming that he was going to be pretty good in this movie. Mm-hmm. But like, that was the hype out of like TIFF and the other um, places it showed like Telluride, like that was the hype that people were like, uh, KG's actually really good in this movie. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Like I, 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 I think it needed to be someone that was as intense as him. And like that you, you could buy, like apparently he's always been kind of a weird dude and very intense and very into his routine and all that. And it's like, it just made a lot of sense. Like that would be someone that would get like very into like being that superstitious about a gym. And I, I just kind of bought that, like he would be that single minded about something like that. And I, it, it just worked out really well, I thought. And he was very convincing and Adam Sandler is giving an amazing performance. And like, I thought KG held the screen very well with him in that last scene, you know? Yeah, I will say that the, I think we both probably read the same thing that Amari was supposed to be the original. Mm-hmm. They basically wrote the role for Amari. I will say I can picture Amari being obsessed with uh, Black Opal <laughs> way more than I can KG, but KG played it well. I think this movie would not have worked Obi in that role. I think the scene of like Sandler giving him the speech about like this is how I win, like this is how we both think, like you're going to tell me you can't do better than this. That scene would have worked with Kobe, but the rest would have been kind of weird. I don't know. I also don't like Kobe as a person. <laughs> like, he annoys me, and I think he's a little much. I never liked him as a player. Uh, but I think that would have made it a little more. I know Kobe's, like, like very into pop culture. Not. He basically bought himself an Oscar two years ago by, like, doing in the animated yeah. short category. And is like, I could, I could have seen him being interested in it. I don't remember why it didn't work out, but apparently they did write a version of this movie for Kobe. And I, I, I guess I maybe could have seen it, but I also, like, I don't know if I could have seen Kobe, like, even going into a place like that in the first place. And, I, yeah. I mean, I, I just I don't know if I've seen a lot of, like, whenever I see him, I don't necessarily see him as a guy that's wearing jewelry. I don't think he wears jewelry. Like KG, I think usually is wearing earrings and I, 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 it would have felt weird. Like from what I know about Kobe, like he doesn't have very many friends. He like lives in his mansion in Los Angeles and just like goes to his girls basketball games. And that's basically his life. So it would have, it would have felt like a little less true to life for me if he's doing that on a game day. And maybe I could just see KG for some reason, like at least even though not to say he doesn't take his work seriously. And it's a little weird that like he's in a diamond district store the same day as there's a game in Philadelphia that there's a there was a night game in Philadelphia I won't let the, those details didn't bother me that much but like I could just see KG like ending up in an area like that like more easily in a way that I would 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 not buy with Kobe the other thing I would ask though is uh I think it's a totally different movie if it's Joel Embiid which almost happened like I was gonna that was gonna be my next point I, yeah. I mean you I mean you know me I'm a Philly guy I love Joel Embiid and there's something to it I would have been I'd be curious to read the version of the script 
that was about Joel Embiid because he's from Africa. And I feel right. like they, they at least thought there were some interesting parallels there. And while he has a goofy persona, he's actually a little more serious, I think, when he's not in like not on the court. So maybe he could have done it, but like just by this the nature of his voice, and I I I'm trying to put this delicately, like not that's not to say that like a foreign born player like can't like pull off like doing a role like this, but like could not act in an intense acting role if he wanted to. But just the way Joel Embiid talks, I have a I, I just have a hard time feeling that it would have like sounded as serious as KG does at points in this movie. Like, can you envision Joel Embiid playing this role in any way? Yeah, I don't know. It would have been interesting. I actually probably could see Joel Embiid wearing the Furby chain. Um, <laughs> so that, that's, that's probably the one difference. Yeah. But yeah, I think to your point, like I think the way Garnett's cadence fits into those scenes when you think about the jewelry shop, yeah. um, you know, and like the, it, it's, those scenes are so chaotic, right? Because you constantly have the buzzing of the door coming in and out. Mm-hmm. You later have like the broken glass. People are navigating around like people are constantly talking like. I don't know if Embiid's kind of like cadence um, would have fit into those scenes because you probably have to take away some of the background noise to make sure you can understand what he's saying. That's also right? a good point. Yeah. What, what do you, I should have mentioned, like, I think when I first became stressed out in this movie was that very first scene when KG walks into the yeah. store. Like, that, that, that's like some ridiculous sound mixing that they do. And, like, I think that was when I got really worried about my grandpa, where it's like I'm having trouble understanding what like, these people are saying because they literally have three people talking over each other, which I'm sure is very authentic to how one of those stores would be when you have, like, that many people with their different things and did that many different customers and especially if an owner is off dealing with his own crap like i'm sure it would be very chaotic but like i, I can kind of see where it's like joel and b just kind of talks kind of slowly and he has the accent and he's like i just don't know if you would have been able to like have him interjecting and saying things in the way that you had kg saying things there again I, and i just thought about it again thinking about the store i think the moment i was most stressed was when the door wouldn't open in the scene where he brings back oh, the yeah Opal. That was that was like that was like oh, oh my god like is KG just gonna walk away and get pissed off like I actually bought that KG might like be like have that that little patience and uh, for something and I just I guess that's just what I know about his personality but like in my head I'm like man he could just walk away right now I could see KG just like feeling like he doesn't want to spend any more time there and th- then Howard screwed even more. And that obviously didn't happen, but I was like, oh, my God, like they made a door, not an electronic door, not buzzing open, like stress inducing, which I think is an accomplishment. Yeah. No, those scenes were great. And like the door not working, he's constantly getting people water, like in that scene with KG to get him to stay. He's <laughs> like, oh, let me take your earrings. I'll clean them. And then like he's talking to the cleaning guy. Like, I mean, that's part of the stress of the movie. It's like not even just like the scene, the situation that uh, Howard's put himself in, but also like the way those scenes are shot. You're just like constantly like you can't even focus. There are so many different things going on. What, what about the what about the whole uh, gambling side of this movie? I mean, I did, just as like a, as like a sports fan, I think a lot of people are saying, "Wow, this movie really gets what it's like to be someone that gambles on move, uh, on sports, and uh, it really gets the NBA." I, I know you're not the biggest NBA fan, but what did you think about its depiction of like just like a, a sports fa- a sports fanatic in general? I think the biggest laugh I got in the movie was where he, he's being told by his wife to go put his son to bed, and then all of a sudden it's a hard cut to him like on the ground watching the phone on in, in his son's bedroom. Uh, did, did you think the movie like because I know the Safties are like actually really big basketball fans? Do you think it, like uh, felt pretty authentic to like just how a sports fan would interact with the world? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, that scene of him sitting on the floor in his son's room watching the basketball was really, really funny. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think the interpretation of gambling on sports in this movie is funny, right? Because you spend the first half of the movie like, hmm, probably should never gamble on sports ever again because uh-huh. this is where you end up. And then he ends up winning in the end. So you're like, well, I don't know. But like, I came away from this movie like, man, 
like unless I'm in like Las Vegas, I'm never gambling on sports. Like this is terrible. No. Yeah, I, I have a lot of friends that do it casually. I, I I really only do it when I'm in Vegas. I I I threw it through an intermediary. I did place a bet when I was at your bachelor party last year, and we're all watching like the UNC basketball oh, yeah. game, and it was you and a bunch of your college friends, and like me who did not go to UNC. I was like, I need to have some skin in the game here, and that's like the last time I've ever. That's the only time I like in like the last like five years I've placed like a sports bet that wasn't like fantasy football uh, when I wasn't like in Las Vegas because I've done it a couple times in Las Vegas. But yeah, I mean, I thought it was really kind of funny when they're in that in the scene with the basketball game going on and i don't really think this i i think I, we'll cut off like the like the last like the five minute mark of this movie at the end and talk about spoilers if we want to but like the fact is this is about a real basketball series that i've already kind of spoiled so i don't really mind talking about it but the scene where uh the scene where they, they are watching the last game for the last bit and he's he's locked all the goons in the uh, vestibule to his store, and he's watching it. And then the Eric Bogosian, who plays Arno, like actually kind of legitimately gets into it. And yeah. I thought that was like a cool depiction of someone that might not give a shit about sports, and they but then they might get sucked into it. And I and and I kind of just like that side of it too. But also just like I thought it was kind of cool about like uh, I think it got something about how like people really care about celebrities and they're at the Passover Seder, which is one small quibble I have with a, as a Jewish person with this movie is like Passover never happens in like the middle of May, which is when this series took place. They're trying to, no, get, I, like, didn't, a, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, mean I, it wouldn't be something that like I would expect people that like aren't really very Jewish and also very familiar with the Celtic Sixers series to know. Cause I remember, I know where I was when I watched it. It was like a, this, like the, the summer I was interning in Philadelphia. So I was staying with my grandparents and I knew I watched that in Philadelphia and I didn't get to Philadelphia till May, but like it was, it was right. It was right in that window right there. And I knew that was in May. So I'm like, okay, like I know they want this to be a Jewish movie, but it already stars Adam Sandler and like, they've had enough other things dropped in there. And it's like, here's the Seder and the Seders usually happen in like end of March, early April. But anyway, like, it's funny just like watching him like be like they're watching the game on the tv after the after the passover dinner and he's like oh he was in my store the other day and then the way the family is like kind of actually really excited about that like they might not even like this guy that much he married into the family and i'm sure the daughter has complained about him just being like a deadbeat or not a deadbeat but just like a piece of shit and but they're even excited to talk about him like rubbing elbows with celebrities and I, I guess that might be like his brother-in-law a younger brother-in-law or someone that comes along with his father-in-law to the auction and that guy's excited to see kg and it's kind of like if you're if you're even like associated with celebrity people are just going to be kind of excited to be around you and i kind of like that side of it too yeah i like that part and the interesting part about that whole scene right is gooey likes him or judd hirsch is gooey likes him enough to like like you, it's weird in those scenes like he he actively likes him enough to like get in that and that sets it up later for like, hey, I need you to come to the auction and like bail me out, which is interesting, right? Given that like, you know, his wife Dina like just hates him the yeah. whole movie. So clearly, something like doesn't translate up, or like he has respect for him in some way. But I, I thought that part was interesting. Yeah, like he, he I, I, I'm, pro, I'm, pro, I'm projecting way more than I really have the right to as far as like how the Judd Hirsch character actually feels about him. But it seems like he's like he's just excited, even if he maybe probably doesn't always get along with Howard. Presumably, like they're, they, they at least they know about his opal and they have some kind of interest in it because it's like a, it is a, it's a trade that like is. Uh, 
is just in close proximity to like all this interesting stuff and they're at least intrigued by that and they're like happy to go to the auction just so the, that guy can meet kg and get some signatures and then he's willing to like just go along with it for whatever reason i guess he, the guy's maybe well off enough that it's not a big deal and he can write he, he can write a two hundred thousand dollar check if he needs to so good must be nice um yeah. but but i, I don't know i just i kind of thought that that part of it was uh pretty interesting too uh speaking of celebrity uh you also you lived in new york about a year after the events of this movie took place was when you moved to new york uh was the weekend as like cool of an underground sensation then as this movie makes them out to be yeah i don't know that's one thing i read people talk about is like how 2012 this movie feels and i was like what yeah, was I, 2012 like it was yeah. like I guess people were listening to the weekend and like, uh, I don't yeah, know. In 2012, I mean, it, you were like, you were graduating or no, we, we, we were in like our senior year of college, still in college, college, college. Yeah. So I was like, we were in our little bubbles. I'm like, what was New York in 2012? That was the first time I ever visited New York as an adult. But like, I don't really remember what I did or anything about how it specifically felt, you know? Yeah. It's not like people were wearing like a certain kind of sneakers or like some other stuff you could point to now of like particular trends of like, what was 20? I'm like, the only thing is, I, I guess people were listening to the weekend. Okay, <laughs> slightly, slightly, slightly older iPhones, and I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't knock the movie points for not feeling sufficiently 2012 because, again, what does that even mean? But like, it was kind of like that. Apparently, the weekend like had to redo his hair to match what it, whatever it was like then. I don't know if I knew who the weekend was then, but like, it was. I don't know. It, it, I guess it was still kind of cool. It's like, all right, let's let the Safties like shoot a New York nightclub and see how that goes. Yeah, that that whole scene of him in the nightclub is great. But yeah, oh, oh, isn't that isn't that a well known place? Isn't that? Oh no, wait, no. Or maybe I'm thinking. Where were they like, bounce or somewhere? I forget uh, what nightclub. Or no, maybe, was I, I might be getting yeah. confused with the Julia Fox profile I read, where they talk about Oak, and Oak's like a pretty well known nightclub, right? One Oak, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I, I've never. I'm not cool enough to go there, oh, but. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, I forget. And maybe it's just supposed to be a generic nightclub, but it, it's something like a One Oak or like a Bounce or some club I've never been to. But I saw the weekend tweet the other day. I now have something in common with Bob Barker, which is kind of funny. Getting <laughs> punched out by Adam Sandler, or, or getting funny. in a fight with him. Yeah, but um, but like I don't know. It, that that was also interesting. I guess that gives me another. And th- th- that's a pretty uh, it's a pretty great scene where after they get outside the nightclub and he and Julia get in the shouting match. It was kind of cool because I mean. It seems like they basically told Julia Fox to act as herself, which is cool because that's what they yeah. do in these movies. But it seems like she got to do a little more acting then, though. She kind of jokes in that article that I read that, you know, she's she, – th- or other people said that, no, that's Julia, where she's just like might be screaming at someone like that and, and getting in some kind of fight like that. But I don't know. We didn't talk about her that much yet. But, like, I, it's pretty cool that, like, they, they, they really believed in her that much to uh, pull off that performance where she gets to do something even as showy is like getting in a shouting match with an actor like Adam Sandler and also holding her own just like – like Kevin Garnett does, because you know it's uh, that that part of the movie. It's almost a bit of a digression to even like have him dealing with all the mistress stuff when, th- in theory, like the gem stuff is the main through line of this movie. But like, I'm like, I don't mind watching this because it's really fun watching her. Uh, what did you think of like Julia Fox? I thought she was really good. Yeah. Right, I think it's a credit to her that you can buy into her being with Howard. Right, because mm-hmm. I think. There's two things about that apartment scene that cracked me up. One, you know, we don't have to go into the gory details when he's in the closet waiting for right. her to come back. But you basically is like an audience member sitting there the whole time, like just waiting for the other shoe to fall. You're like, she's not going to be here. Another guy's going to be here. Like she's going to take a shower before he gets home because she smells like another guy. And then like it's kind of subversive in the sense that it plays out that no, like she's just very loyal to Howard. So I think she does a good job of like playing into that role. 
even like you read interviews with her, she's like, well, she didn't cheat with the weekend. Like she was just trying to sell money and make Howard more money. And like, he just misinterpreted it. Yeah. So, like even in the interviews, like she's still kind of sticking up for Howard. So I think she did like, that's a weird role in that. Like, obviously, you know, in this movie, she's like, I don't know, 30 years younger than Adam Sandler. So you have to buy into like why she would be with him. But her acting is good enough where like you build a connection to see like why she would be willing to do anything for him. Yeah, there's like a cynical part of it that's like, yeah, in a lot of movies, you know, or sitcoms or whatever, it's like it'll be the the old fat guy and like the very attractive woman that's his wife. And uh, here it's the mistress. And it's like you got to do some work to like really make me not roll my eyes at a trope like that, you know. And I mean, I guess wealthy guys do have, you know, mistresses. And that's just the thing. And if you have enough money, yeah, maybe you'll attract like a, a, a woman that looks like Julia Fox, even if you look like Adam Sandler does in this movie but at the same time like he might give off the he might he's gonna try and put on all these pretensions and give off this air of like being really like successful but as we learn like he's he's not living an easy lifestyle necessarily like he he does allow her to live in his manhattan apartment and which is fairly nice if kind of uh tacky looking at certain points and and so that's nice for her but it's i i i I think it's an accomplishment that you like actually buy that like it's not actually buy that like she actually for some reason really likes him and it's not just because like because he like does nice things for her and like probably showers her with jewelry or something like that it's it seems like there's something deeper there and i i think that's a, i think that's an accomplishment because like howard's kind of like a disgusting dude yeah I, I will say that apartment cracked me up right i think that's the one thing i was going to mention yeah. when i was talking about that apartment. it's like a very funny like interpretation of what like an older uh, kind of scummy guy that lives on Long Island would think a cool apartment in Manhattan right, would right. look like, right? Like <laughs> all this like kind of velvetish, you know, velour furniture and like all this weird like gold and like it's very dark and he's got like a big stereo system. Um, that piece like cracked me up, right? Because you, I mean, even his house is kind of tacky when you look at like the furnishings and stuff like that. That and like um, they're like where he watches the first part of the game before he goes to his kids' room. So like that piece whole like you know, all like fit in together and weird if you'd had an apartment in the city that was like very well done or like tasteful or just like halfway normal. Yeah. We get the impression that is like, that this is a place that like, wasn't, it's obviously not like a place where he hides his mistress from his wife. His wife knows about the apartment or something like that, but it seems like she doesn't really have any desire to ever be there or else he wouldn't be able to just hide the mistress there. So it's clear that like, you know, he would have handled any of the design on his own. He wasn't getting the help of like a woman. So it it makes sense that it, it makes sense that it would look like that, which is, which, which is, which is smart. I, so I, 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 I'll, I'll jump off here though. And, uh, tell anyone that if you don't, if you don't really want any spoilers for this movie, I, I'm guessing most people that have, uh, are listening still have seen it, but you know, if you're still trying to decide whether or not to see it, I can tell you, Billy and I both obviously recommend it, but go away now. Cause I want to talk about a couple, a couple of spoilery things, even though I would say, you could talk about most of this movie without really spoiling anything all that important. Uh, but now's your chance. One, two, three, four, five. Uh, I want to talk just about that last act, Billy. You know, obviously, like, the the biggest uh, spoiler is, that the, is Howard's fate. But, you know, I, I, it's hard to talk about that and separate it from really the whole sequence of, you know, him getting dangled out of the building and uh, sending Julia off on the race to the Mohegan Sun, uh, which I guess is also a little bit of a goof because, you know, Connecticut doesn't have sports betting. Yeah. Uh, but, I, I mean, anyone that really knows anything about gambling knows that. But, again, I'll kind of I'll, – I'll let, I'll let it slide. But, like, I that, – I mean, that, that whole entire – sequence like her having to like go into catch the or go into the neighboring store and like roll out the window all the way to like the very end is like i don't know that that's like where it's like 
all right, like that's the whole entire sequence. This is like a rush, like much a good time kind of felt like a rush to me. Uh, even if like I'm saying like, yeah, maybe the score didn't like make my heart race throughout all of Uncut Gems like that. Like that entire last act, it's just like very, very exciting. What did you think about just, uh, and I guess, that, I guess that final, or that happens like right after that final KG scene, which we already talked about. And it's actually a pretty cool answer that like, you know, he has to give this whole speech to KG to pump himself up to even make that bet. But like when KG's asking like, you know, why would you uh, charge like these, like why would, if this thing's a million, why would you only pay these Ethiopians like a hundred thousand for it? And he gives this really incredible speech to KG about how like, look, I'm trying to do my best here and you're, you're not going to be satisfied if you just win every game by two points. And it's a really well acted scene. And as we mentioned, like probably the best scene in the movie, but then it kind of kicks off probably the best sequence in the movie. So uh, what did you think about like just how that movie kind of uh, pulled off that whole entire final act racing through the casino and her having to make all the bets and everything, which is kind of funny, like just her reading off the parlay bet to how shocked were you that it ultimately went where it did and uh, Howard didn't make it out of this movie alive? Yeah. I mean, I think the whole thing was set up super well. I think that speech um, that's now, you know, obviously like a, basically a meme that's going around. This is how I went. Yeah, this is how I went. I thought it was really well done and like makes you buy in pretty hard on, um, on kind of the sequence and you're up for the stakes. I do wonder if this movie is filmed with Embiid as an active player, like how that whole, plot would have worked out because there's no way the NBA would have let him be involved in a movie talking about gambling this extensively and had him like play a role in it. Apparently he was signed on. I mean, I think the only reason it didn't happen from what I understand is because the production got pushed back and he he couldn't film it because it would have been going into the season. So, I mean, they would have let him been in it and it would have been something interesting to have the African player calling the gut, calling the white Jew out for ripping off the black African people uh, from a gym, which maybe there would have been some other level of residence there that you don't necessarily have with the guy that's African American as opposed to, uh, Cameroonian, but it would have been cool if the NBA to let that happen if it ultimately happened. We won't never really get the answer to that question now, though. But you know, they let they let Blake Griffin go on Broad City and put and like basically get naked and yeah. have Alana Glazer make jokes about how his dick was too big. So maybe the maybe maybe we need to give the NBA a little more credit. But uh, did the movie catch you off guard? I guess uh, with just that how how the goons ultimately how that ultimately played out with all the goons. Yeah, I thought it did work out really well. And I, I think the reason it works is because you can understand that, like, the Phil guy, which, who, that guy was amazing. Can't believe that guy wasn't an actor and, like, seems like kind of a sketchy guy, like, the more you read about he's, him. Like, he's, he's scary to look at, but, I mean, yeah. 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 And so he, the way that, to me, the ending works, because not only does he uh, murk Adam Stanley, he murks Arno, too, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting part to me. Like, I think if he had just murder, murdered Adam Sandler, the whole thing would have been a little dull and you would have been like, okay, maybe I should just seen that coming. But like the fact that he turns on Arno too, makes it work. Um, and I, I didn't see that coming at all. Okay, I, I thought should... that was a big twist. I knew there was no way the movie was going to work out well for Howard, but I didn't know it was going to end with him dead. Yeah. I, I let out a gasp when that happened. I'm glad you mentioned Arno again though. Cause I want to go back to him. We find out that he's part of the family and I, I just think it's really interesting. Uh, Eric Bogosian, who I think is a pre- an actor that a lot of people know really well, but I, I, I just don't think I've seen a lot of his stuff or I saw it long enough ago that I don't really remember him from anything other than playing Gil Evis on succession. And yeah. he, I mean, he, he's essentially on succession of Bernie Sanders stand in for, which yeah. is like the most reductive way of putting it. And he's very good on that show, but it's very funny that like, I think for maybe some people, it's not that much of a stretch to see him in this, but when that's all I know him from, and now he's trying to play like this slimy loan shark type of guy. And not, not only did I buy him at that, but like you could tell like very early on in the movie, 
basically, I mean, it's it's hard to get a read on him in that first scene where they strip Howard naked and throw him in the trunk. But yeah. after that, like when you see him at the at the Passover and when you see him at the auction and then when you see him in the final stretch, like you could tell he really doesn't want to be doing any of that. Like it's a, I mean, I think part of that might go to the makeup department, but like this the look on his face you can just tell he really hates that he's having to do it but you know that that guy must be in pretty dire straits and he's not he, he doesn't have the same aggression that the other goon i think he, what did you say his name was phil um yeah it's phil okay. yeah like you could tell that that guy is just kind of like is a little bit of a hothead but you could tell that arno is like that's not how he wants to do business and you see that all over his face and it's very impressive and you kind of get why he's not trying to like he's not trying to hurt anyone really but he feels like he kind of has to to make ends meet i guess yeah, no, I think that's a very good dynamic. Like the Bogosian character, the whole movie, like you can kind of tell us, like, I really, really don't want to be doing this. Like, please, please yeah. just stop. Just which is, an, which is an interesting kind of villain to have in a movie. I mean, if, if you can call him a villain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm like looking at Bogosian's like Wikipedia to know. Have we seen, any, have seen a, anything else? Yeah, obviously he's in Succession. He's in Billions, which I now realize he's in The Good Wife, which I didn't really watch. I mean, he's had a pretty, but like in terms of movies, right? I mean, he's in a movie in 2017, 2014, 2010. He's a handful of movies in the 2000s. Like, I don't know why I would have known him. You know, I mean, it's like one of those guys that feels like he's around in a bunch of stuff. But you look at his like Wikipedia or IMDb and you're like, it feels like it feels like a lot of people I know like know him, but I don't exactly know what they know him from because I didn't really know him from anything before I saw before I saw Succession. I guess he's he's just kind of a that guy for people that really really saw a lot of stuff in the in the nineties and eighties uh, or mainly the nineties, I guess. But yeah, so very impressed with him. I, I don't have a lot else to say anymore, but like I, I guess I should have given him more of a shout out before we got to the spoilers. But you know, look, Keith Stanfield, I'm glad he's in this. You know, he just seems like he's ticking off cool directors to work with. He had a big year between this and nine out very happy i'm just happy when he pops up in things you know he's actually doing like a kind of a black panthers movie with daniel Kaluuya, which i'm very excited for but yeah people have heard me i'm not i don't need to go on and on about lakeith stanfield like he people have heard me like gush about him before i, I just wanted to give him a shout out before we actually like, ended this thing is, is there anything else that we didn't mention yet that you wanted to give a shout out to in this movie any points i didn't ask you about or plot points i didn't ask you about or any other points you wanted to make or people you wanted to shout out all right well so i will say um that Lakeith Stanfield's done an awesome job of picking movies like for the past two, three years. You know, like think about like Get Out, obviously Knives Out, Uncut Gems. So you did, uh, you, you did see Knives Out, right? I did see Knives Out. Okay, yeah. Sorry to bother you. Sorry, sorry to bother you. Like, I mean, it's incredible. Obviously, Get Out. I mean, it's killed it. But that part is interesting. And just like Adam Sandler, Adam Sandler saying Damani just cracked me up. But <laughs> him, him just calling him like telling KG, like, he's just some crazy Jew. <laughs> yeah. But so my two two questions, or yeah. I, I kind of have three things, right? Yeah. One, do you think this is too similar to Good Time? Because I, I had one person that saw this movie, one of my friends from college, mm-hmm. and was like, man, this movie's awesome. I was like, hey, if you think this movie's awesome, you should see Good Time. Mm-hmm. And so he goes and sees Good Time, and he's like, oh, that's just their thing. Like, that makes this movie less interesting to me. I'm like, well, it's like their thing, but like... Well, it's been their thing it for It doesn't two movies. take away from... Yeah, it doesn't take away doesn't take away from the movie for me. Well, I would tell that friend to like watch, uh, watch heaven knows what, which I didn't like as much. It has like a, but like, you know, it's a, that's a movie that's really, really like about like addiction and, uh, poverty in New York and is a very, very different vibe. So I, I would, I would say they can do more than one thing. And I feel like this is what they were building to. And they, um, 
if that's their thing, they do it really well. But I, I would say I bet they can do some other stuff, and we'll see them do other stuff, and it won't feel like they're they're so, so one note after we've seen two more of their movies. But at the same time, like I feel like even if it is similar and that I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. Cause they still showed us a different side of New York and gave us a lot of different things to look at. You know, I, I'd say it, people, it was a fairly transformative performance for Robert Pattinson, a British guy to play like so convincingly some kind of guy from like the seedy parts of New York. And so it was a big transformation. just like how it was a transformation for Adam Sandler, but like the subject matter is different enough and they go to different parts of the city and they get other unique performances aside from the lead performance that like, I can't disagree with anyone that says like, Oh, it's similar. But like, if you like each movie in isolation, then who really cares would be my response. Yeah. I mean, I guess to me it would be kind of like saying, I don't like Scorsese movies cause they're always about the mob and he's always using rock music and there's typically like a long cut scene or like quick cuts or like, it's kind of like, look, I mean, it's a stylistic thing, but yeah, it's not I, the same movie. I went on a bit of a Scorsese binge before The Irishman just to be able to say I'd seen more of his movies than I had. I hadn't seen Casino before. So it's like if you like see Casino, Goodfellas, and Wolf of Wall Street, and even The Irishman to some extent, like there are like some huge similarities between them. You know, it's just some people, yeah. some people have their thing, and they, if they do it well, then good for them. Yeah, exactly. So that was going to be my other thing. Is it yeah. worth me seeing Heaven Knows What? I don't think you're going to like it as much because I, I, I didn't like it as much. You know, it's 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 based on a character who uh, is like a woman that they met on the street that had like struggled with addiction. And they're like, all right, well, we re- we're really inspired by your story. And then they just cast her in the movie. So it's kind of cool that they like pulled something like that off and has Caleb Landry Jones, who, you know, you know, you might know because he popped up in a lot of stuff the last few years, like the Florida Project and and uh, th- three billboards and and uh get out he plays you know the brother and get out so it has interesting performances but it's like it's like it's just like the it's almost the opposite of this movie and like how slow it is at certain points it's it's i, I enjoy, there's a baseline enjoyment i get from filmmakers that shoot new york in an interesting way because i just like that and i'm the weird guy that like just walks around new york for hours at a time when i go on trips there so I, I think that's cool, but like if if you're like looking for stuff to do in the next couple of weeks, I'd say you have a lot more to get to from 2019 sure. that I would put as a much higher priority than this. But I mean, I'm I'm more curious almost to go back even before that to like see a couple of their early movies that they did like that no one saw. Like there's this movie Daddy Long Legs that they did, which is like very very like uh, guerrilla filmmaking type of stuff, even more so than these other movies. And or even the basketball documentary they did that had Lenny, called Lenny Cook about the basketball player, like that that got him a lot of street cred with people like within the nba like so i'm curious to go back and watch stuff like that but like heaven knows what is kind of a tough sit for a lot of it is what i would tell you but like if you want to see like just an example of them working in a different mode just so you can see that like they have the ability to do that like i would say check it out but you're still i we talked about it before we started recording you're playing catch up a little bit on some of 2019's best movies and i i most of the movies that you listed on that were on your to watch list i would say i prefer to heaven knows what so all right, last thing because I know yes. you got to run here in a second. Do you th- do you think they get any Oscars love for this? Does the same man get a look? I don't think he wins, but I think he might get a look. Uh, yeah, probably not. Uh, you know, stuff random stuff happens. You know, like a few years ago, uh, all of a sudden it's like an Oscar morning. I mean, Michael Shannon like gets a Best Supporting Actor nomination for Nocturnal Animals, which I know is very random, but that's kind of my point in that. That movie was like even further out of the conversation than this one was. I don't think that many people saw it. It was very weird. It wasn't really all that good. But like I saw that movie and I'm like, Michael Shannon's freaking incredible in this, and that's really great. But like I don't really think it's gonna do any other. I just don't see enough people caring about it to like get any Oscar nominations. And like the Academy like recognize that like 
wow, Michael Shannon's like really good. Like we should give him an Oscar. And this movie is like good time at, has made like $40 million. Okay. And actually, Daniel has actually made $32 million on a $22 million budget. This is a more successful movie. It's a more buzzed about movie and random things happen, but best actor is like a very, very loaded category at the Oscars this year. You have, you know, unfortunately I didn't, did you see Joker? Uh, I've not seen Joker yet. Okay. I mean, I didn't really like Joker that much. You're probably going to talk to five other people that saw it and all thought differently because it's very divisive, but like, he's probably going to win best actor walking Phoenix because he won at the golden globes and it just seems like it's headed that way. But him and, you know, him and Adam driver are kind of like, you know, the top two and, uh, and Leonardo DiCaprio are kind of the top three. And there's like this whole mess of other actors like Antonio Banderas for pain and glory, which he's like really great in, you know, Eddie Murphy and Adam Sandler, are, like right there is like, it'd be cool if one of these guys could get a best actor Oscar nomination just cause they're so known for comedy and they've kind of try so infrequently but like it just seems like they're probably on the outside looking in i would be a lot of people think that you know it'd be really cool if we got a sound mixing oscar which would be very random but like something like that because you know sound mixing is for those that don't know the difference as much and i only really learned it a couple years ago you know sound editing is the actual making of what the sound effects are sound mixing is can you hear the dialogue with all this other sound stuff going on and like that would be a cool discerning thing for the academy to do i don't know if they would do that but it wouldn't be undeserving but you know like People keep talking about it as a dark horse, but if you just put a gun to my head, it just hasn't gotten a lot of awards from other awards bodies to this point. So I yeah. have a hard time going there. I was listening to one podcast earlier where they said like, oh, it could do something like Phantom Thread where Phantom Thread didn't get a lot of nominations a couple of years ago up until the Oscars besides Daniel Day-Lewis. So it could be something that people like all of a sudden dislike, but the guilds haven't really nominated it in anything. Like it won like all these critics awards and the New York film critics gave it all these awards because it's a very New York movie, but that a lot of people that vote for these things a lot of a lot of people that vote for these things live in la so if you're like gun to your head what one thing do you think it has the best shot at i don't know i'd probably i guess i guess i'd probably say adam sandler if things break the right way but unfortunately i just don't know if it's going to happen yeah i don't know that it's going to happen either which is kind of a bummer right i mean i think i think the same man will get a look i don't think he'll win and then you start to think about the ancillary i mean to me ancillary categories like of sound editing or or in this case to your point sound mixing it's I don't I don't know. Right. You can maybe make a shot for cinematography because I think this is shot in a very distinctive style and it's shot well. Mm-hmm. But 1917 is going to obviously win that. So, like, it's not even a question. Did you see 1917 yet? I haven't seen it yet. Okay. I mean, just, I, just based on the hype and like what the premise of the movie is. I mean, there's no. no way yeah, I no, I saw it, I saw it Friday. And yeah, I mean, it's 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 Roger Deakins to lose for sure. But I mean, the, just the way this the, the way the camera moves in this movie is like truly very impressive too. It's, the way it whips around that store is uh, is very cool. And this really has put the safties on the map, though. So hopefully they'll like find some other really cool, interesting, unique film. And maybe by that time, people are going to be ready to like really honor them. And I don't know. Hopefully Adam Sandler just keeps trying. I mean, I don't. It's hard to it's it's not hard to understand why he's not going to get a lot of Oscar love though when it's like people like like this might find it more pressing to honor other people that are popping up more frequently with really good roles where it's like Adam Sandler's like I'm going to try it acting like once every three to five years and I'm going to be yeah. really fuck, be really good at it but then you're just going to like think of me and be like oh well you know he's been like making shitty Netflix movies for like the last two years whereas like we really want to do something for Adam Driver who like gives three really good performances a year. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. It, it could just be a tough road to hoe for him, but I, I would be like super happy for him. It'd be really cool. Uh, it seems like he's 
uh, proud of the movie and has been doing a lot of press when he doesn't normally do very much press. So when he could just like be like, I'm going to be rich and go fuck off to my mansion. So good for him. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we're surprised. We're by the time people hear this, the Oscar nominations will have already come out, but we're recording it like less than 24 hours before they're announced. So this will all be, I, I should have realized this will all be moot. Um, but hopefully, yeah, ho- hopefully I, hopefully I sound dumb when this comes out and it, it'll have actually won a bunch of stuff. I don't know. So Billy, any other final thoughts? I will say that I would have definitely gone to see the Softy Brothers remake of 48 Hours that it sounds like they're not attached to anymore. Wait, that really? That would have been awesome. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 thought, I thought I looked that up like last week. Did that change? I thought, they were writing, I, I thought they were writing with Gerard Carmichael. I think uh, when I just looked at Wikipedia before this, it's, oh. it sounds like they're not attached anymore. Oh. So that would have been awesome. And then also, if you have, are still listening to this and you haven't yeah. seen Good Time, seriously, go see Good yeah, Time. Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime, and I, I just highly recommend it if you just like are looking. If you like the feeling that this movie gave you, I actually think that like Good Time like probably like get, gives you that feeling like even more. Uh, and that's not the, I, I honestly don't even really have an answer to you. It's like which movie I think is better. Like, I, I think this is just a more ambitious movie, so it tries more things, and there's something to that. But I don't know. So it's, they're just both good. And, uh, hopefully if they aren't doing that 48 hours thing, I think this has been successful enough that like, they're going to like a 24 will be happy to be in business with them and do other stuff. So I think that's why they're not doing it. Oh, I will also yeah. tell people, um, to make sure you look at what Lakeith Stanfield is wearing in his Wikipedia picture because it is bizarre. Um, uh, but that's all I got. This thing open. Yes, that is bizarre. Uh, I happen to still have that open. Uh, Billy, I, uh, you're, you're enigmatic on social media, so I don't expect you have anything to say here, but do you want to plug anything? Tell people to look at anything? Uh, I would just tell people to go see Good Time if you haven't seen it. There we go. Uh, so I just wanted to give you the chance because that's the part of the podcast where I normally let people plug their stuff. But that's the other thing. I've, since the last thing been on, I've kind of turned this into like a recommendation corner where it's like you don't want to plug yourself, tell people to watch something else. So you actually went ahead and did that anyway. But uh, as Ooh, usual... I, I actually have a, a second edition yes. of that category that I have been watching recently, What's which that? is Lodge 49 on AMC. Ah. I know this is a movie podcast. Oh, yeah. Go Great. I, I just binged the first season of that this week. There was something. Oh, we talked about pawn shops earlier. Pawn shops play a show prominently. is a great show. As a big fan of Everybody Wants Some, I support them. What's his face? Russell. Kurt Russell's son, Clyde Russell. White Russell. Uh, in all th- or Wyatt Russell in all things he does. So go watch Lodge 49 if you have not seen it. So third got, season's about to come out. No, I thought it got canceled after two. Or did it get canceled after the third and they already made the third? I think they already made the third. Uh, okay, well, I, I, it definitely got canceled because I, I follow like a lot of people and my friend Hannah that does the podcast sometimes, and then like I know Alan Sepinwall and really liked it. Like people really liked it and they were sad, but at the same time they're like, I can't believe this this show even made it two seasons. So, I uh, I think it just got the two actually. I lied. Okay. So. Either way, like it's cool that like. It sounds like a fun hangout show, from what I understand, and I'll be excited to watch it because a lot of people I trust said it was really good, and it's only two seasons, so it's not too daunting to start that. So, yeah, I look forward to that. Thank you for uh, introducing and recommending something new to the listeners. As usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y, on Twitter and Letterboxd. Podcast Twitter is Rewind Movie Pod. Podcast email is therewindmoviepod at gmail.com. Uh, coming up next, we'll have podcasts on both Spies in Disguise and 1917, and I'm going to make my guests for 1917 uh, talk about Ford versus Ferrari if it gets nominated for an Oscar because I kind of missed that one and I don't I don't really care enough to like do a podcast on it if it doesn't get a Best Picture nomination, but I I feel the need to be on the record if it does, so we'll have to play that by ear. But everyone. Uh, 
or so everyone can stay tuned for those and then we'll have a top 10 podcast of the year at some point before the oscars air it'll be a pain to get it done because they move the oscars up but oh well so everyone stay tuned for that thanks again to billy for joining me and we'll see you next time